You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 6, beginning there in verse 35. John chapter 6, verse 35. I have a a lot to cover. I I know that I will not be able to to complete everything that needs to be said in this passage of Scripture. So I know that I will finish up uh, this section tonight, and then I will finish up probably John 6 next week. So turn, if you will, to John chapter 6, beginning there in verse 35. I'm going to read verses 35 through 40. If you don't have your copy of God's Word with you, I want to encourage you to take your pew Bible and open it to John 6, 35. And as I read and I share this morning to follow along, John 6, 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. But I say to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do the will, my own will, but of the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the gospel. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you, Lord, for sending him to die on a cross for our sin. For all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But you demonstrated your love for us. And you sent your son. Said, whosoever believes and comes may have life and life more eternal. And Lord, to partake of the bread of life. Let us see very clearly this morning, Lord, what that means. As believers, let us understand what it means. To have the bread of life. And Lord for those that are here this morning. That have never come to the son. That have never come to Christ. I pray today that you open up their eyes. And their ears and their heart in such a way. That they come. And they believe. And they follow after. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I like music. I like all kinds of music. One of the dangers of music is it's the music that we like and not what music's supposed to do. It's like singing in church. Sometimes we we sing in church, but I don't, you know, I don't like that. Well, what don't you like? Is it the music? Or is it the words? I wish we could get everybody back up here and let's sing Who Can Satisfy Again. 
I don't even know if that's the name. That's, is that the name? Who can, I, that's what it's about. I, mean, I know the song, but sometimes. The, think about the words that we sang. Now, that song, it's peppy, and we like it, and we love the drums, and I always say, I don't know, y'all pray for it. One day, I'm just going to take off running, and it's going to be all over at that point. When the Baptist preacher starts running, we all going to take off running. It's not the drums when they kick in or these technical things that do it. it, it I like the music. It's the words. Who can satisfy? He's a redeemer. I mean, who, as we, as we look at that song and we think, my goodness, what is wrong with us? If we sing that and we believe that and we are believers, what is wrong with us? I don't mean us just sitting here in the room, but just the church today. Sometimes I even wonder, and I, I'm, a, I'm a glass half full guy, I tend to be very optimistic. I don't think you can understand that and it not change your life. There's no way in the world you're born again. If you just take the words to some of the songs that we've sung this morning and meh, you're not born again if that does not encourage you to understand who we are in Christ. If we can't take words and, and lay the words out and understand the gospel and, and read scripture and, and, and that is all that we need. It's, it's a, it's a word-driven, spoken faith. It's, it's a, the gospel. If we just can't get excited about just words and what they mean, I just don't understand how we could truly have ever been born again. Jesus is dealing with a great subject here. Who can satisfy? We've been looking at this, at this section of Scripture as Jesus has been walking through uh, John 5 and John 6. And last week we left off with this. And Jesus said, verse 35, I am the bread of life. So he makes this authoritative statement. He's looking at those that he knows do not believe. And he looks at them and it's the first of the seven times he says this. I am the bread of life. He has fed the multitude he has walked on water. He's turned water into wine. There's a lot of things that have happened up to this. And everything that he is doing from the standpoint of the Old Testament Jew is pointing toward what Moses and what the law did. The manna in the wilderness, the, the water, all the things that Moses did. And they had their hopes in. Jesus is saying, I am greater than Moses. Yes, the law is good because the law was pointing toward the gospel. The law was pointing toward the Messiah. I am better than the manna in the wilderness I am the bread of life and so as we look at verses 35 and 40 we understand why he makes this statement and can make it with such authority and such meaning we understand as we look at this verses when he looks at them and says I am the bread of life we understand why he says that and why that is true we think about our life as the church if we believe Jesus Christ is the bread of life, that is a remarkable statement for me. When I repent of my sins and I place my faith in Jesus Christ, basically what this means is everything I need, every aspect of spiritual, emotional, and physical satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. As the bread fed the nation of Israel as they wandered in the desert, as he took care of his chosen people in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ will take care of us, not just temporarily or not just for a moment, but Jesus Christ will be our satisfaction from now until all eternity. I'm going to tell you as a believer, that's a game changer. When you meet that Jesus, it's different. It just There's no nominal carnal Christianity going on you realize that's it and as we understand that for the lost world as Matt was praying the greatest need we have in our country is not reforms and all the things out there and all the things that we think are going to fix things the greatest need we have for our family our friends our neighbor and our country is that they understand that Jesus Christ is the bread of life 
Isn't it funny how things that we really believe in, we are so passionate about getting others to believe, like a ball team. I put on Facebook, go raise. I'm at a raise game. That got me in trouble. Facebook message, private. I thought you were a Braves fan. I am. That's why I don't root for the Marlins. And if we're both in the World Series, I'll figure it out. But when in Rome, do as the Romans do, okay? Isn't that silly how we can be so, what happened? Don't you, what about the Braves? What about Jesus? Oh, it's getting a little cooler. The humidity's dropping. Football season's right around the corner. Woo! Hey, you're dead and lost and you're trespasses and sin and you don't have any hope in your life and there's absolutely no hope in your life. But I'm going to tell you something. I'd like to tell you about the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that Jesus Christ is the only satisfaction and with that gospel message comes great power and great authority? All we do is share it. And that's what's going on here. Jesus says, listen, I am the bread of life. So that's a very bold statement. This statement declared, I am the bread of life. Look at that phrase there. I am. We first see that in Exodus 3, 14, around in there. And he's the call of Moses. And Moses, the bush is on fire. And it's the presence and the holiness of the Lord. And he says, who are you? And he says, I am the great I am. And if you look at that in the way that it was written and you look at it in the understanding of the context, this is what that bush is saying. This is what God is saying through that bush. I am God. He said, you're on holy ground. I am the great I am. Turn, if you will, stop right, put put something there, put a finger there, and look at Revelations chapter 1, the last book of the New Testament. When Jesus says, I am, there are seven I am statements. This is the first, I am the bread of life. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Revelation 1, 7. John receiving the revelation from God, Romans, Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Now that is the Lord Jesus, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Every eye will see him, even though who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. He who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am. I think some of us have a picture of a real sweet, benevolent Jesus, like Granddaddy. Jesus is a warrior. Now, he's the great shepherd, but when he comes... He is a warrior, he is a king, he is a lord of lords. He said, I am the beginning, I am the end, I am the great I am. That's what it talks about in Philippians. Every knee will bow. Can you imagine, think about the most influential person you've ever met this side of heaven. And it would be kind of weird if you've ever been around somebody that way. I've bumped into literally the commandant of the Marine Corps. For those in the military, get this, that was a weird thing. Because I didn't know what to do. And so when he came into my presence, I was inside with no cover on, and I saluted the man. Well, you don't do that. But I did it. I think I just walked around the rest of the day like that. So I said, what are you doing, private? Commandant, commandant, commandant. That's all I could say. I was scared to death. When the Lord Jesus Christ and the heavens open up and the clouds open up, every knee shall bow. The last thing that some people will do before they spend eternity in hell is they will bow their knee to King Jesus. Why? Because of who he is. He is not a way. He is the way. I am 
the bread of life. Notice that word bread. I am the bread of life. It's the, the basics of all living. In this Today, we've got a lot more choices today, but, but back then, bread and water. That's all you needed. Bread and water is what sustained you and encouraged you. That is what fed you and allowed you to live for that moment. Literally, for that moment. The bread of manna and the, and the water provided in the desert. For that day you will survive. But take no more. But for this day you will survive. And every day I will meet your need. Jesus said, I am that bread. And he's saying that there's a need that needs to be met, but that need is spiritual. There, there are other things going on in our life. There's emotional things going on in our life. There are physical things going on in our life. But these things do not matter if we don't get the spiritual right. Because once we get Jesus right, because he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, all the other stuff will take care of itself. Husbands, you want to be a great husband? Love Jesus Christ more than you love anything else. And I guarantee you, your wife will be bragging to everybody she knows about what a great husband she has. You want to be a great employee? You want to be a great this? You want to be a great that? You want to be a great anything? If you love Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and he is the master of your life, if you get him right, everything else just naturally works out. Back that up. If all of this is wrong, Jesus is wrong. If our relationships are not right and our attitude is not right and there's things going on that are not right, a lot of times if we get Jesus right, all that works out. Why? Because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and all things come through him. He created all things. He holds all things together, Colossians tells us. I'd have loved to have been there when Jesus was saying this. I'd be going, tell them. that. He is. I am the bread of life. Notice as we read, go back to John 6. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Well, that's hard, isn't it? That's real difficult. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ on his terms, when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, we will never lack anything. Even when we're sick, even when we're hungry, even when there are things that we do not have, if we've got Christ right and we know he's right in everything in our life, yes, we may be hungry, yes, we may be in pain. I got a text today from someone that I love dearly that's in a lot of pain. But she has faith. And yes, the pain is real, and yes, the agony is there, but in the moment she realizes, yes, I'm in pain, and yes, I'm in agony, but I have Jesus Christ, it's going to be okay. Because she has come to Christ. And notice what else. If you come to me, whoever believes in me, See, if you, if you come to Christ, sometimes in our evangelism, we have terrible evangelism as Baptists. Now, I can say that about Baptists because I am one, remember? For you Presbyterians and Methodists and all the other folks, I'm not going to be so hard on you because I am Baptist, so I'm going to talk about my own little tribe. We do the, the, the come to Jesus. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. He said, you got to come and believe. We come to Christ. Hey, there's Christ. But what did he do? And what does that mean to me? I come to Christ and I believe that I am a sinner. I am literally a hell-bound sinner, a breath away from eternity in a place of damnation called hell. And that is me. And I believe that he was sent by the Father to die on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for my sin. And I believe that if I will call upon his name in repentance and faith, I have been born again and I call on his name in faith and ask him to forgive me and I am committing my life and bowing my head and heart to King Jesus and Lord and I'm saying, Lord, me nothing. I am dead and I don't want to be dead anymore and I'm giving everything to you and I am following you and I am yours. That is believe. 
Coming to Jesus is not believing there is a Jesus. Coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus is believing who Jesus is, believing what Jesus has done for us, and believing how that needs to affect our life. It's not difficult as long as we understand that we're believing on who he is, that we will have eternal life. I was talking about a bad way to do evangelism because you know, how many people do we know when you say, hey, I'd love for you to come to church? That's a very basic question to ask. That's something I can observe. If my neighbor never comes to church, I've got a clue. All right, so if I just simply say, hey, we're having church service, love for you. We're having revival. We're having something. We'd love for you to come to church with me. Well, I don't really do that. I don't go to church. I just, uh. Now, once they find out I'm the pastor, I'm not talking about my neighbor, but once I find out the pastor, then they say something like, oh, well, I'm a believer. Now, I have said this. Maybe I need to start saying it again. I'm going through waves. Sometimes I'm more outspoken. Sometimes I'm not. Well, what exactly, I have said this many times though, that's great. What exactly do you believe about Jesus Christ? That you believed that there was a historical Jesus Christ when you were 8, 9, or 10 at Vacation Bible School and that he, if you believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven one day, but your life has never changed and you've continued to live a life of, of sin and rebellion toward God and you're clinging on the balance of heaven or hell based on something you did 15 years ago and your life never changed. Is that what you believe about Jesus? Can you imagine the reaction I'd get for that? And that's not being ugly or mean-spirited, but listen, here's the thing about it. Do I care enough to ask that question? I know someone well enough to know where they're seeking satisfaction. If Jesus Christ says, everyone that comes to me and believes in him will have eternal life, you'll never hunger again, you'll never thirst again, people, we need to understand that and believe that, and we need to be screaming that from the mountaintops, that we believe that as well. I think so often we've just opened up the back doors in our churches and we've played the prelude and we've done the, the welcome and announcements and we're, we're looking out hoping the church is full and hoping people come in. We need to go out and live in such a way and tell in such a way that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Here's why I get excited about it. I believe that whoever comes will be saved. I believe that whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. I believe that and I believe that they will never hunger and thirst again. And then right there in verse 36, here's a great example of knowing content. Because we go to verse 35 and then look at verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. And he's like, why is that in there? It's giving us some content. I am the bread of life and I know you don't believe. How does he know they don't believe? Because Jesus can see their heart. He knows what they're thinking. He knows, the good Lord knows what every one of us are thinking right now. That's good and bad. That's good when you're striving to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and you just keep messing up. Anybody else like that? I think sometimes the harder I try, the worse it is. Bless his heart is not a southern thing. That's a Jesus thing. Every day, bless his heart. Every time Gabriel goes to say something about me, Jesus said, you watch him. He's mine. He's trying. Some of y'all aren't trying, though. But he also knows our hearts when we're not living for him. And we're not fooling anybody. And Jesus looks in there and he says this, And I say to you that you haven't seen me and you do not believe. Now think about that statement for a minute. It's a statement of unbelief that, that they don't believe. So think about verses 37 and 40 as we move forward. If he is who he says he is, if he is the bread of life, and we believe that whoever comes and whoever believes will be saved, how do we know that? Because the Jews standing right before him don't believe. We have verse 35, and it seems so simple, but then Jesus said, but I know you don't believe. It makes me just want to kind of throw up my hands and say, well, he just said, if you come and you believe, you have eternal life. But then he looks right there and he said, well, but I know you don't believe. If Jesus isn't about good evangelism, what chance do I have? 
That's why we have 37 through 40. Now, I always am very careful to say what Jesus did, but I think was what... It, I am the bread of life, but I know you don't believe. And I believe he looked at those who did believe. I think he looked at the disciples and said, but I know what you're thinking too. Don't focus on their unbelief. Focus on that I am the bread of life and whoever comes and whoever believes will have eternal life. Don't lose your confidence in the power of the gospel. Don't ever lose your confidence that Jesus Christ is not who he says he is. Don't ever lose your confidence as a believer that he is the great I am because. And now we have verse 37. That's why it's so important that we look at scripture and content. And we just don't fly to a verse here and fly to a verse there. But we look at all that is going on here. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, don't worry about their unbelief. I am the great I am. You can believe it with authority. You can claim it with authority. You can share it with authority. Don't worry about what they're saying because what God has started, he will finish. What God has set in motion will happen. In my mind, because God is a big God. Look right there in verse 37. I'm the bread of life. This is what me, this is where this is the authority that I can say I'm the bread of life, Jesus is saying. This is why Jesus can say, whoever comes to me and believes will be saved. Here's the authority that we know that, that we believe that. Here's the authority of my assurance of salvation. That I know that I have come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know that I know that I know that I have eternal life, not because of verse 36, but because of verse 37. Through 40. Because of who God is. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, isn't about this. <laughs> whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I can say this with the ultimate authority because of what my Father is doing and has done. All that the Father gives. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have the Trinity. You have God. We have to understand from a standpoint theologically a, a foundation by which our, our salvation rests upon and our sanctification grows upon. We understand that there is a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are God in three persons, but yet one. And we have an understanding of how can God send and give? How does Jesus see the heart? How does the Spirit convict? How does all this work together? We sing songs about Jesus has the whole world in his hands. We pray to our Heavenly Father to heal and to do. We believe these things about God. Or... Do we? All that the Father gives. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. Do we believe that? Okay, he's either, here's what we have to understand. He is either God all the time or God some of the time. Here's a, an example. I may be real quick to tell this side over here. Just trust the Lord. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is all-present. He's everywhere. He hears everything. He can do everything. Y'all just rest on that. Until something goes wrong in my life. I know it. I believe it. I share it. I amen it. But then the second something happens in my life, it is Katie bar the door. I forget that there's a sovereign God in the universe. I go into panic mode. Matt brought up Facebook. I run to Facebook, and I'm just blah, help, help, help. 
what a small God we serve. He is all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful. Think about his attributes. Is God a loving God? Yes, he is. God is love. God is fair. God is benevolent. God is merciful. God is just. Meaning that what happens is because it was supposed to happen and it should happen. And he is justified in doing that because it did happen. A.W. Pink is a gentleman that wrote a book, The Attributes of God. One of the greatest writings I've come across on the attributes of God is written by A.W. Pink. Pick it up and read it. You need to read that. If I preached on these things, we'd be here till Jesus came back. Because once we understand who God is, then we can understand who God is. He is loving, he's wise, he's fair. Here's something for you. I was thinking about this week. If you look in, in Exodus 20, it talks about this. He's a jealous God. Not envious that I want what you want and can't have it. He's a jealous God. Who alone are we to worship? God. Who alone deserves our glory? God does. Who are we giving glory to if we don't trust in God and who he is? Who are we giving glory to when we run from the things that we know to be true? Who are we giving glory to when we question the things that God has said? He's a jealous God. He wants to receive the glory and honor due his name. Every time the word of God is open and rightly preached, it is like God himself is preaching. He's a, he's a jealous God. He's a, a loving God and a fair God. And he is talking to his people this morning. He's God. I struggle sometimes. I don't want to say this. Every time I say this, I get into trouble. So I'm going to say it. I'm not making eye contact. I don't know. You, you, you couldn't really have a picture of God, what that would look like. But we've created God like puppy dog with angel wings. Now right now, y'all going to go home and start hiding your stuff whenever I come over. It's like we've created this sweet, benevolent God that's just sweet and angelic and just God. And he just wants everybody to be happy and just to, to get along. And he knows what we're going through. And who are we to say? Is that God of Scripture? Have you ever read the Old Testament? I tell you, even better than that. Make a commitment today to start reading the Psalms. You want to have an encounter with a holy God worthy of our worship? I'm not afraid of God. I revere, I fear God. I'm surprised God hadn't taken me out a long time ago. I fear God, but I have, read the Psalms and you will worship God and you will love God. You see about his grace and his steadfast love and his patience, but you see his, his sovereignty and his rule. We have a low view of God. Something that, well, That's what I was saying. We've got a Christian bookstore, Hallmark version of God. Yes, he's sweet and he's caring and he's loving, but he's God. We don't have a fear for the holiness of God anymore and who God is and, and what it means that he created all of us and sustains all of us and he governs all of us. Notice what it says. He gave. Think about this. We, we, we look at his attributes. How about this? Secondly, this is kind of a, a point under who God is. His involvement. God is actively involved with his creation. I used to have a top at my grandmother's house. I don't know the last time I've seen a top. And I would take that thing on her table. She had a little 
card table. I couldn't do it on the kitchen table. And I'd take that little top. This was before we had the ADD gadgets. I had a top. And I'd take my little top, and I'd sit that thing down, and whoa, there's the top. A lot of us think that's what God does. God says, here's my created universe. I'm going to get that thing going, and boom, there's the top. Done all I can do. Now it's up to y'all. Woo! Everybody crossed their fingers. Oh, it's wobbling there. Oh, no. No. He created us and he is involved with us and there's a a plan in the midst of us. God is actively involved with his creation. All this is, is his. We are his. We're not our own. Every one of us were created in the image of God. God doesn't just create us and then step back. I mean, what a, how depressing would that be? How could you even pray? You know, you get a text this morning from a family member that's got a family member that just needs prayer. <laughs> how do I pray if I don't believe God is a God? When I say, God, heal her, I believe God can heal her. He's actively involved with his creation. I believe when I pray for anything, I pray for God to do it. He didn't just get things going and just step aside. He's involved with this, and we know it. And then we have to consider his will. I think there are two ways to describe the will of God. And different ways to describe it. Different people have tried to describe it different ways. One way is the the sovereign hidden will of God. Here's, Here's a great example. I don't think God went to Mary and goes, Mary, I want you to birth Jesus. And then go, gosh, I hope she says yes. Have you ever thought about that? God just loved her enough to let her choose. Mary, I want you to birth Jesus. God, I just got too much going on. I just, I, have you tried Susie next door? I got a lot going on. God, okay. Don't, don't write that down, Holy Spirit, in the gospel yet. We ain't right. No, it, it sounds comical to even think about. There are things that are going on that, that, that we do not know. The, the hidden, secret, sovereign things of God. That's, that's stuff going on we have no control over. And I'm glad. Me being born in Barnesville, Georgia. To, well, I wasn't in Barnesville, Georgia. Me being born in Atlanta, Georgia to Fran and to Ed Beck is the sovereign will of God. That is something totally outside of my control. Being born in the United States of America in 1966 was the sovereign will of God. He knew exactly what he was doing, when he was going to do it, and why he was going to do it. There are things going on that are going to happen, and there's nothing that we can do about it. That is God's sovereign will. That is why we pray to a God in charge of everything. Now, if you do not believe that, you need to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because lost people don't believe that. But there's another will of God. The revealed and the moral will of God. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Obey. You ever read the Bible? How many obeys are in there? How many do's? uh, What are the little things we talk about? The doodads. I went lobstering this past year. I'm a professional lobster helper. Helper. Along as a professional gator hunter. What if we were sitting around out there and and the beloved, I'm sure, had this on her mind as well as others. Somebody keep an eye on the pastor. He's almost drowned once in a lake. The Gulf of Mexico is not a good place for him. And let's just say I'm down there and doing something stupid and I'm not supposed to be doing and it's just like, 
Why did God do that? Sharon said, well, I think God was involved with that. God is sovereign, but dum-dum did that. God created lungs and water and, uh, you know, in that dynamic, he told us that, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. So, yes, God was not up there going, I don't know. But in the same time, God has said, I have created things in such a manner that if you do this, if I eat butter pecan ice cream every day of my life, I'm going to look differently. And somebody's going to say, well, I'm just going to eat butter pecan ice cream because God is sovereign and he's got a sovereign will and we can't thwart God's sovereign will. No, we cannot. But he also gave us a moral reveal will that if you do this, that is going to happen. And here's where we get nervous. How do we reconcile them? The Bible says... The Bible says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will be the first one to say, I don't know the secret will of God. But I can trust in it. It doesn't say, I am the bread of life. Whoever just comes, comes. Whoever doesn't come, doesn't come. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We're going to look at this probably next week as well. We want to take the sovereign will of God and the revealed will of God and we want to try to figure out how does this fit together. Well, it doesn't. We're trying to reconcile friends. Because of the internet and because of just the exposure of information and things, we, we want to take the sovereignty of God and, and His process and we look at the aspect of election and predestination and salvation and we want to draw a line there and yet we don't want to recognize that there's a, a, a real human responsibility involved in everything that we do. And so we tend to say, okay, we've got to decide which one we're going to stand on. We can either stand over here that God, whoever the Father gives will come. Or we can stand over here and say, whoever comes and believes. And we we try to create these sides. Charles Spurgeon said this. We're trying to reconcile things that don't need to be reconciled. They're not enemies. They're friends. I'll be the first one to tell you. I don't believe, and I I cannot, I'm not trying to start anything. We're on the World Wide Web, so if you're watching this, I'll get an email this week for saying this. I can find no direct teaching that says this. God loves us so much, he gives us a choice. Yes, God so loved the world. But a God, that, let's think about it. So if we think about salvation. If God says, I love you so much, just choose me. And he's just going to step back and he's going to say, there's a chance none of you would choose him. Well, it says in, in, in foreknowledge, we, we'll get to that. That is a God I don't want to pray to. Oh, what I'd rather pray. So if my next door neighbor is lost and I say, think about your next door neighbor's lost. If you do not believe God is in control and you think that God has done everything he can do and loves them enough for them just to come, how can you pray for their salvation? Because when we pray, what do we say? God, save them. And God would say, I, I can't. I've done everything I can do. So there's no way of praying for the lost. Okay, so we got that. But it also says, he who comes, let him come. He who believes, come. 
I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that whoever the Father gives will come, and whoever comes, God will never cast out. But I believe that I could look into the raised Tropicana field last night. If I could have got on the pitcher's mound with a microphone, I believe I could have looked at that stadium and said, whoever will come, you come. Whoever believes, you must believe. There's no tension there. I get more excited about evangelism because I know God is the one that's drawing and saving. That's where it gets exciting. Does that not excite you? Notice what it says. And all that the Father gives to me will come. As we think about that, We just know that God is sovereign over everything. We can't just say God is sovereign over everything but our salvation. God is sovereign over everything but who will be saved. No, think about your life. You were sitting there one day. The idea that you even growing up coming to church shows God's sorry. I can take you to the spot at Rehoboth Baptist Church in Tucker, Georgia. I had been in church my whole life and all of a sudden the light came on. Because of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a plan. So if we think about, we proclaim that he is the bread of life because we know what God has started, he will bring it to completion because of his attributes, who he is, because of his involvement, he's working behind the scenes, because of his will, and because of his plan. We'll finish up tonight, but I want to say this. What was God's plan in in sending? As As we read, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of them who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Notice, God's will, God's will, God's will, that I should lose nothing. You might tell you a great doctrine is the perseverance of the saint. The idea that once we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, the same God that saves us, the same God that sent his son, is the same God that keeps us. I'll never cast you out. Let me tell you what this means. Don't get hung up on the sovereignty. That's where we get hung up. Oh, I don't like where this is going. Oh, no. Apart from Jesus Christ, everyone is already going to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Everybody's already going to hell. Okay, from, from the time of creation, we're all, we got ACDC on wide open. Some of y'all might have to Google that. God's not sending anybody to hell. We're all going to hell. That's why he sent his son. I don't understand how he is sovereignly working behind the scenes. There is no one that is going to hell that wanted to go to heaven in in a theological standpoint. Now, once they get there, they might not want to be there. No one's going to be going to hell going, but I wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. That's ridiculous. People go to hell because they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've had people tell me before, well, what if, what, if I, what if I want to be saved and I think I'm saved and I want to be saved and I want to be saved, but what if I'm not saved? Well, if, if you want to be saved and you biblically understand what salvation is and you've responded to the gospel call of the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel message, you are saved. We overthink it. When I share the gospel with someone, I'm not looking for whether or not they are, that the God has given them and they will never. I'm not looking for God's secret will. I'm looking for where the gospel is penetrating the heart. And I tell people, don't reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the issue. And I believe with all of my heart that God is working in ways and I will never understand. And he is calling and he is drawing and he is allowing people to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But each and every one of us must come. And I tell people this and I know it can be very controversial. 
If he is a sovereign God that keeps us, he is a sovereign God that calls us. That's just what scripture teaches. That's what Jesus himself has said. Jesus himself said God loves the whole world. God, and the scripture said that God desires all men to be saved. I believe that with all of my heart. God desires all men to be saved, but he knows they won't. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. But I know that God is orchestrating from heaven who's the will and who will not. I believe with all of my heart that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're trying to create tension where there should be no tension. All that the Father gives will come. And whoever comes, I will never cast out. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that there is a heavenly Father that loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sin? And that you are sitting this morning under the word of God is a great indication that God is a God that is drawing and encouraging and convicting. I said this many years ago, it just kind of came off the top of my head. You're not sitting in this church this morning because the devil wanted you here. You're not listening to this message on the internet because the devil just happened to let you come across this website. There's a loving heavenly father that sent his son that does desire the salvation to all mankind. We preach and we pray and we plead and we ask God to open up the hearts of people and allow them to come and then we trust him for the results. Is Jesus Christ your only satisfaction this morning? He said, if you will come and believe in me, I will never cast you out. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we do thank you for the promises of your word. Sometimes we struggle with your word trying to wrap our arms around a sovereign Lord. And Lord, our minds cannot embrace that. So Lord, I pray that you give us a, a theological framework that we understand that we serve a holy, righteous, loving Father, a big God. But that we also understand the real choices that we make as life, as we share the gospel, as we come to Christ, as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there is a sovereign God that rules every aspect of everything. But yet we are responsible to you and our response of you. Let us see you for who you are this morning, Lord. Let us know that you are the bread of life. And this we pray in the wonderful great name of Jesus Christ. Amen.